0: Okay, I'm gonna begin. Uh, We are uh, in the middle of our four pillars of discipleship series, and I'm trying to get through this issue of identity, what it means. Uh, We are uh, kind of in the beginning section in which we are spending the majority of our time looking at uh, what does it mean to be made in the image of God, and what does it mean for us uh, to then live from what the Bible teaches in terms of who we are. Uh, There is just so much that has been given to us that has been Uh, push at us culturally um, and I don't just mean like outside like even within our own families moms want to influence us they tell us who we are they tell us we're beautiful and sweet and smart and they're trying to, to to drive into us right an identity in terms of who we are and then you get it on media and we get it in terms of billboards and advertising. And so there's all of these competing ideas in terms of who we are, and it's very seldom that we ever come to the scriptures and say, I don't know who I am, teach me. Like kind of fill me in with who I am. And when that doesn't happen, then we're finding other places that, that, that give us those, uh, I would argue, when it, co- does it comes from places that are contrary to the Bible, meaning against the scriptures, then it actually is a lie. And when we begin to build our identity around something that is actually not true, then we are going to be hurt. And then as we are hurt, we hurt other people. And that's just how this continues. The Bible actually teaches that. And so in light of all of those things, we are... uh, I'm going to pick up kind of where I was last week. So if you don't mind... Um, I I need to try to get through this. And so I just keep preparing a whole bunch of new material and then I don't quite get it through. So we're gonna try to make sure that by the end we're done today, we're gonna be all caught up. So here's the basic idea that we spent some time talking about last week. There is a a separation within humanity that the Bible teaches about that is not politically correct. Um, I had up here, for those of you that just kind of wandered in, um, I had up here just the phrase lost. We talk about the lost and the saved. Um, That's the way the Bible describes it. Um, To be saved, actually, another way that we could use, or another word that we could use that, is to be rescued. Now, one of the questions that I have, if up here it just said lost, is rescued from what? How many of you, before you came to Christ, were walking around going, I just need someone to rescue me? Like, I'm so lost, and I mean, I'm not just talking like lost, I don't know directions, like lost, like completely and utterly in darkness. A lot of people don't feel that way. They don't even understand that. And so then, they're just kind of going through life, and so they're looking for better life choices, they're looking for a life coach, they're looking for some tips and techniques to benefit their life, they're wanting someone to come alongside and, and encourage them, but the Bible actually doesn't give a picture like that. So there's two kinds of humanity. There is that which is damned under God's wrath. Paul says this, the wonderful Apostle Paul who spent his life being um, being put in extremely difficult circumstances because he wanted people to come to know Jesus. Like the only way that he would live the life that he lived is if he thought there was something incredibly important at stake. You don't do what he did if you're just trying to help people with a better life choice. No, Paul, if you look at that text um, that you have in the red on um, last week's note, it might not be in the red, but it says Paul of Tarsus. and It says this, how then will they call on him if they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will someone preach unless they are sent? So Paul is like describing in Romans 10 is where this is found. He is describing almost this desperate state. Not like someone's lost and, oh, don't worry, they'll eventually get here. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not that kind of lost. It literally is a lostness which is describing um, even a difficult life in the here and now, Um, even a difficult life that is not living in accordance with the way God ordained things now. I had a great Greek professor in my life, and he would just remind me how important it was as a a Christian, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for me to not get overly angry at people in their brokenness. And he would just describe like people that were under the damnation of God for their rebellion against God. And he would would describe their life and and their need for rescue and then he would lean over and he would say to us, because we're you know in that 21-year-old, I know everything and I'm the smartest guy in the world kind of attitude, right? And he would lean down and he would say, if that is their state and if that is their brokenness, why are you mad at them? Like, why do you hate them? It was kind of sobering. I'll never forget it. Like, no, these are are people in need of rescue. right? And interestingly enough, even when we describe this, it's like, wow, God must hate them. Oh, yeah? Well, then explain the cross. God doesn't hate them. God loves them. He sent his son to die for them. The biblical picture is not, yeah, and God doesn't like them. No, the biblical picture is God gave the greatest sacrifice for them. And then we have the opportunity to preach this. So this is a reality that the Bible teaches and therefore becomes this incredible important thing. How do we help people respond? Um, we, we spend a little bit of time talking last week about this idea and I, I want you to be aware of it because um, it is a Unbelievably complicated idea, but when it comes to salvation and when it comes from moving from being in the category of the damned to the category of the rescued, those that are now experiencing God's grace, that are now experiencing hope and life and peace in God. And, and one of the reasons why this word is seldom used is because it's, just so, it's such a stark difference than this. And I want to look back and go, but there should be a stark difference, shouldn't there? I look at my own life, and I, I should be able to see at some level, like right? like a, like a stark difference. So I didn't move from being mostly lost to now being a little less than mostly lost. I went from in complete need of rescue to actually having I went from Paul Paul uses this term, which you tell me he, he talks about it this way. Paul says that we were dead, and then now, because of God's great love for us, we have been made alive. Like, that is a pretty big difference, is it not? And a lot of us go from not really nice people to more nice people. A lot of people think that what we really need to be is less polite to more polite. Taxes that were paid on August 16th to people, or April 16th, to people who pay their taxes on April 15th. Now, it's actually a much more stark reality, okay? So how do we move through that reality? And, and, and I, I just think it's important for us to realize that we don't fully know that there is a tremendous amount of debate. Um, there are two ways that we can look at it. One is described as a monergistic way, so energy, energe is the Greek word, where we get the word energy or to work. And so mono energy, one working, that everything is God. There are those in Christianity who actually believe that it is God who puts it in the hearts of people to believe, that it is God is the one that put it in Jim's heart to believe, that Jim being a sinner and Jim being under the category of the damned was so far from him and God put it in my heart and then my heart changed, okay? they believe it's all the work of God. Now, that brings a lot of questions, doesn't it? Well, why doesn't God do it to everybody's heart? Right? So we have tons of questions about it, which, by the way, I don't know. I really don't know. Monergistic, that God does everything. And then there's more of a synergism that, that describes, listen, um, no, it, it's really not like that. That actually I'm working in cooperation with God. That it's important that I respond to it. Which people over here would say, no, listen, you will respond, just God's the one doing the responding through you. So there's, by the way, there's answers on both sides. Here's what I don't mind doing. I, to do this on Sunday morning would be crazy, but you guys are the best of the best, right? You're the Marines, right? So, you know, we're not just regular army, we're Marines, you know what I'm saying? Um, I apologize, Bill, That's, that, was not, that did not work for you, brother. Um, except Bill is special forces. So a helicopter party. Anyway, um, so we're the best of the best. So here's what here's what I, I want you to kind of hold intention that I, I really, I, even though I don't know if I totally line up on the side of things, I, I, I've gone. I don't know if you've gone back and really asked the question about why you believe. And I guess this is the part I, I want us to to realize is that the Bible does describe at times like God opening up people's hearts and they respond. So you can't avoid that fact. Acts sixteen. And the Lord opened Lydia's heart, and she believed. Sorry, it's there. How that happened, though, I don't know if it totally explains. I guess here's what I want to caution you against. I really want to caution you against from somehow being seduced into believing that you're smarter about something, spiritually speaking. Or that you're a little better, spiritually speaking. Because there's no room for that in the Bible. There's really no room to think that something, that there was something kind of in you that was not from God that kind of helped them along. Right? That's the that's the part of this particular side of things. I, I mean I, I do believe that I did something, I really do. I believe that I responded to God's the gospel, actually. Um, and I but I never want to take anything away from what God did. And so I don't even know how that worked. And so I I literally I look at my coming to faith as kind of like, in in many ways, and the Bible does this, okay? I know my wife hates it when I talk about her, but the Bible describes them as similar things. The Bible talks about my union with Christ and my union with Andrea as being similar things, okay? In, In a number of different ways, in Ephesians 5. And I think one of the reasons why is that, especially in modern marriages, like I can't explain to you, like even if you said to Andrea, why do you like Jim? Was he just better looking than everybody else? She'd say no. Is he smarter than everybody else? She would say, no, like, why did you pick him? And she would go, like, I guess I don't know. I just, I picked him. There's just something that cannot be explained. There's something that in the end, it kind of ruins it to explain it all. And so I wanna wanna just make sure that you understand it is a biblical, a very biblical response to just sit in awe of the conversion process at times. And we're we're gonna break it down a little bit but then to try to just nail it down exactly, I, I, don't think the scriptures, I don't think the scriptures do that because it cannot be fully explained. I really don't. I really believe that's part of the problem. And so when I stop and I say, well, like, why do you believe, Tom? Why? Why do you believe? Are you, are you smarter? Because you know people that don't believe. Why do you believe and they not believe? And at, at some point in time, you're an honest man. You're going to look at me and you're going to say, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know the difference. Like, I know people that are worse than me morally who, who believe. And I know people who are better than me morally who believe. And I know people who are dumber than me who believe. And I know people that are smarter than me and they don't believe. So, what is it? Yeah. I can't explain. And as I look back, and, and I, I don't know, I, I, I know I resonate with a number of you when I say this. Like, there is a part of me that can't help but believe. And I don't even apologize. I used to always, I used to always apologize for that, you know? But I, it, I, it, is, it is like this compelling within me. Um, I, I describe myself, on, I think, on Twitter and Facebook when I ask who I am. Like, I am someone who is, who is like, uh, helplessly, and I mean that in a good sense, convicted about the reality of God and the truth about Jesus and I'm just compelled to talk about it. And you know what? I don't even want to exactly know how all of that worked. I think God will just go, that eh, was kind of me anyway. Like even you. I mean, I, I, it, just gets, it just gets big and I want it to be big, okay? Because and, and every time you think you have it totally answered, I promise you, there's someone that can say it's a little more complicated than that. Let's talk about this idea of salvation because I think it's going to be a helpful thing. Because when we talk about salvation, so often we get stuck thinking point in time. Now, by the way, there appears to be at some level a point in time as we walk through this. The problem is, is that when we are moving from the being, those who are damned or those who are under God's wrath or those who are now under God's reward, that when we're walking through this, the Bible actually uses three different terms to describe what this is. So there are three different terms that are going to constantly be walking through. The first one will be justified or justification. The second one is the concept of being sanctified. Okay, or sanctification. And the third one is to be glorified in its ultimate sense. And by the way, that would be um, the, the, the concept of the ultimate glorification of us, okay? Now, the Bible describes all of these, um, interestingly enough, enough, as things that happen to us. I, one of the greatest ways to think about this is that when you think about being saved, there is like to be saved and then to be saved and then to be saved, and so you have to ask, like, what question are you talking about here? Like, for example, there was a point in my life in which I was not saved. And then I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so the means by which I find salvation is I put my trust, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and that process, I now move through, and we'll talk about what that process entails. But when we, when we talk about it, we then move through these, these, these um, and I hate to use the word stages, but we, we move through the, the justified state in which we are now declared righteous. Like I wasn't righteous, but now by faith in Jesus Christ, I am declared righteous. And so this is kind of what we think about when we talk about I once was lost, but now I'm found, right? You know the song? I once was lost, but now I'm saved. This is usually what we're talking about, but sometimes Christians only talk about this, like that's all there is. So we usually, if we were to use like the specific word, and we wouldn't just use this word, we would use the specific word, we would ask like more, are you justified? Yes, I've been justified. Okay, cool, so you've been justified. And the Bible talks about that. There is a moment, right? There is a moment, so if you guys remember, like one of the biggest trials in my history as a, as a, as a human was the O.J. Simpson trial, and, and we're waiting to hear, and the jury's about to read the verdict, right? And then after the verdict, and it's set, right? Now all of a sudden, interestingly enough, he's what? He's innocent, he's innocent, it's, it's been done. We were wondering what it was gonna be and now the answer is innocent. And the gavel comes down and it's been stated and now it's, it's just done, okay? The, the rule has been set. That is that idea of us being justified. And we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did, right? That is our, the basis of our justification what Jesus Christ, not what you've done, it's not I went on a mission trip, it's not I'm a really good person, I baked cookies for my neighbors when we moved in, it's none of those things. It is Jesus Christ died on the cross, he offers me salvation, I receive that by faith, and in that receiving that, but we'll talk about what it means to receive it by faith because it's a little more than just thinking. But when we receive that act by faith, we are declared right by God, and now there's more to unfold. And this is where we get this other piece, because there is a phrase that the Bible talks about quite a bit, particularly in the New Testament, and you'll hear the Apostle Paul say um, that we will be saved, and one day we will be saved. And are like, well, what do you mean we will be saved? I thought we were. What do you mean we will be? Paul also says that we are being saved. What do you mean we are being Either we are or we aren't. Like when you have that kind of that on-off mentality, you you misunderstand what the Bible actually teaches. So the Bible actually talks about this. Future tense, you will be saved. Ongoing, okay, imperfect tense, are being saved. What's the Bible teaching there? Well, to be saved is in this idea, another way to look at this is not just rescue, but it is the concept of being made whole. Have you guys been really sick one time? And then you're better, but you're not totally better. Anybody been there? You better? Uh kind of better. Mostly better. No, you're either better or you're not better. I, I love talking to, like, people who know, like, the body. And they, they, they'll, they'll, they'll tell me these things. Doctors will tell me these things. They'll say, you know, health is, is a, it's kind of a sliding scale, right? Are you healthy? Uh mostly. Could you be more healthy? Most of us would say, what? Yeah, I could be more healthy. No, you're either healthy or you're not healthy. That uh, doesn't work like that, actually. Now, by the way, you can be alive or dead. Dead, alive, but not alive. And so the Bible talks like this. So it's not by my work. It's not by my response to the Spirit. It's not that I become more justified. No, no, no. Jesus took care of all of that, right? So we're not becoming more justified as we become like Jesus. God doesn't then love us more because we're more like Jesus, right? No, that's your you're, you're, you're misunderstanding. We don't become more, we're justified. So if, 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 if I were to have a conversation with God, he would declare me innocent of my sin, not under his damnation, but under his grace because of what Jesus Christ did, right? So I'm not mostly saved, I'm completely justified. Like there's no one that can have an accusation against me, Paul says in Romans eight. Okay? That's what the Bible teaches. But Jim, you don't think that you could be better? No, totally think that. But it doesn't move me into the damned category. I'm here in the justified category, and now I'm continuing to be made more whole. I'm continuing to experience more out of what God desires for me and also from me. And he gives me the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. We'll talk about that tonight. And so there is this, I have been justified, and then he uses this also word like we are being sanctified by the Spirit. The Bible says that we are being made perfect, which, by the way, doesn't mean spotless and pure, as much as it means mature, right? The word for perfect, and usually in the, in the Greek, is the word teleos, which is kind of where we get the end in mind, like... God, this is this is one of my biggest fundamental problems with people that have a, well, I got saved and now I can do what I want mentality. Like I accepted Christ and I went and did done getting baptized, and so now I'm just gonna kind of go on my merry way. Like that is so not the biblical, it's it's kind of like Andrea and I having a baby, coming home and just sticking it in the corner and going, Well, we're done. Like, you would just go, that is, that is crazy. You don't have a child to stick them in the corner. Like, they, they won't even be able to live like that, right? You would just go, that is so wrong. And yet, so this is the idea. And this is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What do you mean work it out? It's already been done. Well, this has already been done, but this is being done. And this is why I have no problem encouraging the Bible teaches me to do this and us to one to another not just me to you but you to me we encourage one another to become more like Christ we encourage one another to do good works why because this is why God made you this is why God made you alive was so that you could do good works for his glory and for your joy and for the benefit of the world around us like that's why he saved us you know that's what the Bible teaches and so, so often, people just get uh, stuck right here because of, sadly enough, because of bad biblical teaching. Anybody that wants to teach the whole council of the scriptural scriptures, you could never stand here. So am I getting more saved? Um, yes. Am I getting more justified? Uh, it doesn't work that way. But you are becoming more like Jesus. You are becoming sanctified. Let me give you a verse of the Bible that's fascinating. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. The Bible says something very interesting about this concept of sanctification. Hebrews 10, 14 essentially says this. And now the Holy Spirit has made perfect those he is making perfect. And and so here's the beauty of it. The Bible actually teaches that simultaneously I stand in the mind of God pure as he finishes making me pure. And I can only do that by the blood of Christ. See, that's what the Bible teaches. And Christians need to know that. You need to know that like that's your identity. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to worry about like what's gonna happen if Jesus Christ comes back. No, the verdict has come down and you're, you're, you're innocent. Like you don't need to worry about that. It's crazy to worry about that. No, 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 no. Like you don't have to worry about that. Okay, so now what? So why are you telling me to work? Oh, well, because let me explain to you what's going on. Like, you are now in the process. Like, the reason why you were saved was so that you could fully begin to embody the life of Christ and everything. Oh, this sounds so hard. Well, it is, and by the way, if you try doing it on your own, it'll just wear you thin. I mean, I really think there are a lot of people in our fellowship that are worn thin because they're trying to be good people, not live by the Spirit and become like Jesus. I believe that I've been that I know what it's like to try to be a good person I wasn't thinking it through well because I wasn't trying to avoid the spirit I was just trying to just muster up within me and to be as good as I possibly could and to just grit through temptation right instead of just whoo okay I'm gonna I need to think about this I need, to, I need to submit to what the Bible says about sin and about temptation. I need, to, I need to begin to see myself as someone that doesn't respond in that greedy or in that selfish or in that lustful or in that prideful way. Why? Because that's not who I am. That's right, that's not who I am. And I'm talking to myself, by the way, sometimes. You're right, that's not who I am. That's who I was, that's not who I am. I'm not gonna lose it, I'm not gonna fly off the handle anymore, why? Because that's not who I am. I'm, I'm somebody else. I'm actually a different version of me. How do you do do that, Jim? Well, it's the Spirit. And in the Spirit's word, called the Bible, he teaches us, we'll talk about this tonight, what what that actually is like. And so I am, I have been declared perfect as he continues to make me perfect. And then one day, the Bible actually says this in terms of this, ultimately, the one day we will be. It's like, there'll 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 be a day when all of that's done. When sin is no more, and death is no more, and pain is no more. And then, it, by the way, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not like, and then, oh, good, finally, you, like retirement. It's actually, no, it's like a whole new way of life. It, it's not just a retirement. It's like, literally, it's like, this is the way God meant it to be? Like, I only know what it's like to live through the stain of sin. that's all I know what it looks like. I remember a professor describing this. He said, you know, it's interesting. He said, he was describing in heaven. He said, um, he he used another professor and and that other professor's wife as an example. He said, if you were to see me, and and this other wife's name was Barbara, he said, if you were to see me and Barbara, which was Mark's wife, if you were to see me and Barbara just sitting under a tree and holding hands and talking, you would go, what's going on? Like, what, what, what is that? That's kind of wrong, isn't it? Why? Because on this side of the world, on this side of eternity, it is, right? Because why? Because of Kenny's heart, because of Barbara's heart, because of your heart, because of my heart. I would even argue it's not wise, and it can be, because why? Because we're still in this state, okay? We really are. What happens on the other side? When there is no exploitation, when there is no using other people so we can feel better about ourselves, where there is no manipulation, where there is just pure thoughts. Can you even fathom that? Like I can't fathom it. To not doubt other people, to not worry about whether or not my car is locked, to not have any of that, why? That's what this state's gonna be. And you know what they call it, right? They call it heaven. My favorite description or understanding of that is the presence of God with men. Think about this, though. The only way that the presence of God can fully be with men is for us to be then fully made whole, right? Which is our final glorified state, with our final glorified body. It's so, what I love about this concept of having a bigger view of salvation is not just this, and not just this and not just this, but literally this idea. is because this is how the Bible uses lots of words to talk about it. Now, again, what's very interesting about this is if you begin to look at this linguistically, these words actually kind of overlap sometimes. God does this. It's like every time I want there to be like this clear category, God's like, ah, it's not that simple. And, I, and it, it drove me crazy because to me everything should just be clear. And God's like, no, it's, it's actually, it looks like this as I'm working in you and to will and to act according to all of these things. So when you think about what it means to be dead and then how to be saved, and then when you begin to think of what that means, it's not that God is never done with you or he's never satisfied with you. No, you don't understand. It's that he designed you to do more than, than, than just in your past make an acceptance of who Jesus Christ is. Like literally, what God desires for you and me is for us to be made, remade, we're made in his image, but now remade in the image of his son. And the only way that that can happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that that can happen is that the Spirit is given to us at that point of conversion. Now, by the way, in that idea of faith to respond, what saves us? Again, key key idea here, The death of jesus is what saves us how do we connect to the death of jesus by faith okay but then what is faith right read read hebrews 11 because this will this will blow your mind a little bit because people we this is this is what this is what the church has done and gotten it wrong for many many years is they well i'll tell you here's what it's not it's not works that's what it's not okay i think i know what you're saying if what you mean by that is like I can't work my way apart from what God has taught me, that I can't somehow stiff arm God and make him make him do God, look what I did, and now you owe me, ha ha ha! I got you. Like that's what that's what a, a righteous work is, where somehow you've been able to avoid God's plan, and by your work you've been able to outmuscle Him by being good or being kind or being something. The Bible teaches against that. Okay. But if you read Hebrews 11, do you know what it says? Things like this, by faith Noah built the boat. By faith, and then every time it goes, by faith, this was the work they did. By faith, this is what, by faith Abraham went to a new land. By faith Moses' mom stuck stuck, stuck her son in the water. It wasn't by faith she had some thoughts. By faith they did nothing else but think things. It never says that anywhere. It's by faith, and then what they did. you got to remember that. So it is the by faith we are saved, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Man, amen, right? That's that's, that's Ephesians 2, I love that. By faith, I believe in who Jesus Christ is. So here's what has to happen. I always remind this. People need to hear the gospel, Paul says in Romans 10, and they need to believe. For those of you that maybe know this, this kind of is the verb, pistuo, and this becomes the noun. It's literally, if, if you were to see them side by side, they look like the same Greek words. Verb, o, noun, is. It's the same word. We 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 translate this. Believe in this faith but they're literally the same concept one's a noun and one's a verb the faith of jim jim believed and it was credited to him as righteousness okay so same concept so we hear then we believe and we bible teaches we repent we change our minds by the way that's like an action Believing, by the way, just for the record, when Jesus said, or when Jesus is asked in John 6, what must we do? What work must we do to do the work of God? What does Jesus say? Believe in me. So Jesus doesn't quite have this faith versus works craziness. The way that a lot of preachers teach it. We hear, we believe, we repent, then we confess. This idea, particularly in the New Testament, meant to swear allegiance to. Hey, if anybody wants to know who I swear allegiance to, above all others, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. You know, they'll kill you if you say that. Kill away, my friend. I can't stop what my dad always say. Can't stop what you're gonna do, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, that'll mean i will kill you. Okay, no, you do what you gotta do. I will do what I gotta do, and I'm ready to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That was a big deal back then. That's what it meant. That's why when Jesus says, those who will not confess me before men, I will not confess them before my father. Think about it. In the context, it was people going up and going, are you a Christian? And you have to make a decision. Are you a Christian? Yes. Tony says, yes. Okay. By the way, that could cost you. Okay. You do what you gotta do, Jim. I'm just telling you where my allegiance lies. That's what that is describing here. That is why we, we swear, we, we literally, we devote ourselves. There is an allegiance aspect to this. We confess, um, uh, we are baptized. Okay, we are immer- literally, the word means immersed. This was kind of the normal way. Every conversion in the book of Acts kind of walks through this particular mode of things. They hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they repent of their sins, they confess Jesus Christ as Lord, they are baptized, and then after that, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Time and time and time and time and time and time again. This is what we see in the book of Acts, except for Sergius Paulus. I'll be honest with you. There's just one that doesn't quite have all of this, but I I think there are times in which you shorten it. And by the way, I believe that when Paul says in Romans 10, especially when you read it in conjunction with Romans 6, what must a person be saved? Call on the name of the Lord. Paul understands this process, because here's what happened to Paul. Paul heard the gospel, he believed in the gospel, he repented of his sins, he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's what Paul did. That's what Peter did, that's what Peter preached. What must we do to be saved? Well, you need to believe the gospel, you need to, now that you've heard it, you need to believe in the gospel, you need to repent of your sins, you need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you need to be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 this goes on and on and on again. Now, what the problem is is that as Christians, we wanna to try to split hairs or come up with what happens if you're in a foxhole or, and I always like, well, tell you what, when you get in a foxhole, call me, I'll tell you what you need to do. But until you get into a foxhole, why don't we just do what the Bible teaches? This is honestly my, been my answer for years. But well, what about the thief on the cross? Well, when you are a thief on the cross, give me a call, I'll tell you what to do. But until you become a thief on the cross, why don't we just do what the Bible teaches? I know this sounds crazy. But why don't we just do what the Bible? That's why I always tell people, I mean, are you telling me I have to get baptized? No, let's just read the Bible and see what it says. Are you telling me I'm gonna have, all I'm saying is let's read the Bible and see what it says. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what I think we should do? No, but I know you're gonna tell me. What should we do? Well, I really think we can shorten this whole thing down if we just, well, I'm sure we can just shorten it down. Well, don't you think God will accept that? Sure, I think God will accept that why aren't we doing what God said? <laughs> like, why, why did we decide to do something different? Wouldn't it be cool if we had like a, a part of our, we, we should do this. I got some elders in here. Let's have a plan and we'll take a, a, a special piece of property and we'll kind of section it off and then we'll each put like crosses with our, with our date that we're, we, were, we, were, we were damned and then the date that we were saved and then we'll write up like some of our bad sins and then we'll, we'll literally, we'll have a service and we'll kind of nail a post-it note to that and then that will be what will save us. Oh I don't, sounds kind of interesting. You don't think God would accept that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe God would accept that. Why aren't we doing what the Bible said? I loved it. What, two two young ladies, neither of them from the kind of the, the, the denominational persuasion that I come from, we were at a conference one time and they were trying to ask me what I needed what they needed to be do to be saved, and so I began with the fundamental beginning. Well, what saves you? Well, faith. I said, really? Like just faith? Like in trees and what? Well, you know, faith in Jesus. Okay, like that Jesus was born a virgin. Well, you know, no. Tell me, whittle it down. Well, that Jesus died for me. Oh, okay. So by faith you do that. Okay. Now, what what is it that Jesus died for you? And is it just his death? No, it's also his death and his burial, and what else? And his resurrection. Okay, so his death, burial, and resurrection, that is really what saves us, your belief that the death, burial, and resurrection satisfied the wrath of God, so that wrath no longer falls on you, but his grace comes to you, is that it? And they said, yes, and I said, I want you to think, and think real hard, is there anything, because God loves to have us go through, not empty in an empty way, but God gives us very powerful images to drive the point home, he actually told Abraham. We're going to have a covenant together, Genesis chapter 17, and what I want you to do is I want you to circumcise. I want you to take the foreskin of all of your males, and I want you to cut it off, and I want you to throw it away, and this will be the sign of the covenant to you. This will be the sign that you know that you are in covenant with me, because signs are valuable, okay? And he says this over and over again, and this you will know. This will be the sign to you. You will see the circumcision And those who are, you will know, are part of us. And those who are not will be, and then guess what phrase he used? They will be cut off from the people. If you do not cut off, you will be cut off. So it it meant something. Now, by the way, I don't think baptism and circumcision are, like, totally linked. Old Testament version, New Testament, that's bad theology. It really. But there are some similarities, too. So I'm with these girls, and I'm telling them, so tell me, how do we, how, what is it? It's the death, burial, and resurrection. Think hard, think hard. Is there anything that God may have given us to do to connect to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Think hard. And they went, what about that water stuff? Yeah, it's called baptism, which is the Hebrew word baptizo. It actually just means immerse, to be, to be buried. That's a little what the word means, to plunge beneath. Well, what if we just sprinkle? Well, what if we just, hey, listen, like, we could do lots of things, I guess. I mean, honestly, if you're asking me what I think, God may actually totally be fine with that. But why aren't we doing what the Bible said, right? I mean, I've done this before. People in my office, I'm going, listen, I I am not arguing that I know exactly what God will or will not accept. But you do know we're going to be using this a lot at church, right? Right? And you do know we're going to be reading Acts 2 and we're going to be reading Acts 8 and we're going to be reading Acts 6 and we're going to be reading Acts 16 and we're going to be reading Acts 18. We're going to be reading, and all the we're going to be in Romans 6 and we're going to be in 1 Peter and we're going to be, that's kind of my answer to that question. And, and by the way, when I, when I say it's a process, it really is a process of salvation. And, and, and by the way, if we have time, not tonight, but if we have time we could talk about So, is baptism the last act of a saved man or the first act, or the the first act, last act of an unsaved man or the first act of a saved man? That's a great question. I'm serious. I've had that conversation with people. In the end, by the way, we end up with going, yeah, I don't know. But it's a good conversation. Honestly, sometimes it's good. It really is. Sometimes it's not foolish. Sometimes it is good to ask deep theological questions. And then when the Bible doesn't speak about it, we go, hmm, that was a good conversation. I don't know. I, I don't know. Here's what I do know, right? So this is what being saved is really all about. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I remember when I came to the understanding of it that it wasn't as simple as just like an on-off switch. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not, I hope this is you. And if it's not, I will sit down with you one-on-one. If there's something I've said that was too much or you disagree, I'd love, I would take as much time as you want Because this is kind of how, and there's so much more, by the way, that could be said. Like, the New Testament has such a big picture of this. And they want you to, the New Testament writers want you to experience the big picture of God's salvation. And they don't want it to become this reductionistic. I done did that. Like, salvation isn't something you did. It's actually something God offered. And it's something you received. And I, I keep saying this. If, if having children and being married is deep and rich and complicated, why did you take your relationship with the creator of the universe and turn it into a week at camp? And honestly, shame on whoever this falls upon, like on the church, maybe even sometimes us when we reduce it to that. I remember talking to some college students about this. Um, and, and they kind of, they were already getting the sense of it. They were already beginning to read the rest of the scriptures. And they just said, like, what I was taught really is not what Paul teaches. Like, there seems to be so much more. And so I just spent through and I started talking, putting Bible verses, Ephesians 2 here and Philippians 2 here and 1 Thessalonians 5 here. But, and, and they just went, okay, I always thought that they kind of short sold me a church. And I just thought, that's sad. You know, I, I met a man one time and one of the saddest things I ever heard, but somebody made the comment, they basically just said, hey, tell you what, just get them wet and let God sort them out. That was his answer. You just get them wet and let God sort them out. Now, what I love is the Apostle Paul in Acts, this is what delays me, I get excited about Paul. So what, what Paul does in the book of Acts is after he's done in the first, so he, in 13 he leaves and he goes to the southern Galatian churches. And as he is sharing the gospel with them and then he has to leave, he is tormented like there's more I could have said. Tormented, right? This is why I had to come to Sunnybrook because I would, I would go to a church like Sunnybrook and I would fall in love with you and I would come back and I would say to Andrew, how was your weekend? And I would go, we have to move to Olathe, Kansas. Why? Because I told these people what was going on and then I had to leave and there's so much more I could have said. And she's like, honey, you can't be everywhere. I'm like, I know, but I need to be in Olathe, Kansas. I need to be in Racine, Kansas. I need to be in, and it was just all Marcus, Iowa. I need to be in the, why? Because there's so much more that could be said, right? That's why I kind of felt like in the end, I had to be here. Because there's so much more that could be said. And the apostle Paul went back to strengthen the believers. Why, Paul? It's all good, man. They're safe, bro. They done did that. Paul would go, you so don't understand God's plan for people. Don't sell your salvation short. It's much deeper and richer than any of us fully know. So let's then move into the rest of this. Let's talk about um, what the idea of being, what it it means to be united with Jesus Christ. The famous systematic systematic theologian, easy for me to say, Louis Burkhoff says, this idea of union with Jesus is now an intimate and vital and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength, of their blessedness and salvation. I just love how he wrote that. Like that's what union with Jesus is. Do you see how that's a whole lot more than I done did get saved? He is the source of all life. He is the source of your strength and the source of your blessedness. Wow, that seems pretty powerful and, and rather intense. And we must realize that we don't just live for this idea of what Jesus Christ has done. So now we live for Him. We actually live from Him. And this is why the now, after being baptized, buried with Christ, and raised to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 1, and the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. Think about that for a moment. Like that blew my mind the first time I like actually read that and like kind of began to process that. Wait a second. So you're telling me that the power that took Jesus's dead body, and I've been at the tomb, it's still empty, at the the power that came into Jesus and raised him from dead to alive, that is the power that now lives in me. How many of you go, man, I don't know about you, but I am alive with the power, resurrection, and you're not like just pretending you're a charismatic preacher. Like it's really true. Like the power what I usually get is, yeah, man. I mean, it's just, you know, people—we're all messed up. We're all, man. We're just, I'm as bad as anybody else, really. Then, if you're as bad as everybody else, can you please explain to me how the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you? Which one do you want? Can't have both of them, sweetheart. Which one do you want? Think about it. This is how the Apostle Paul teaches. So I, I love this statement. Um, it is Paul says this in Galatians chapter two, verse twenty it is no longer me who lives but Christ who lives in me a lot of people go well, that's for the super Christians I just kind of got a you know like a third tier plan you know I got the bronze plan <laughs> yeah there's no bronze plan like this is how the Bible describes what life should actually be like therefore that is why there is this assurance that is actually given to us so the goal of this union with Jesus is to bring us as humanity into fellowship with God and then with each other. And therefore, this union with Christ is something that is, um, we're gonna describe it in two ways, and I know you're gonna go, wow, that just seems so sterile, but I wanna talk about it forensically, um, judicially, and then I wanna talk about it also mystically. So there is something, and I'm gonna spend a little bit of time on this. There is what is known as like the forensic union with Christ, and that would be this. That there is this forensic, meaning there is this judicial, there is this actual, there is this I am now justified with Christ. And by the way, that doesn't mean sterile, and it doesn't mean boring, and it doesn't mean, you know, it's not, it's none of those things. It's life-giving, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's all of these things. But that is the actuality, because here's where we miss it. When I say to you, like, are you really saved? Do you really feel saved? And do you know you're saved? Tim gets inside of himself and he starts going, well, I don't know, like the other day I was feeling different things and it gets kind of complicated and I did five bad things when I was seven and he starts getting messed up in his head. And he starts looking for, and if I can use the next example, more of a mystical union, more of like how he's responding and feeling and growing. But his salvation... This aspect of his salvation is not based upon what he's thinking or feeling at this moment. Like, I want to know, Tim, right now, do you trust the work of Christ as the only means by which you stand right before God? Yes or no? Yes. That is your forensic union with Christ. And it's not up for debate. And that's why I love to tell people when they're really torn, they're really, and I get where it's coming from. Like, I get the angst of the sin that you've done and the hurt that you've caused. I get it, but you're going I said to a young lady the other day and she kept looking at me and she kept going, but, and I finally stopped her. I said, listen, ma'am, because she really does love Jesus. She's just, she's got a lot of but in her life. She just got a lot of like, pain and difficulty. And so as she's sitting there and she wants to argue with me about this and I'm describing how she has union with Christ and she wants to talk about what it was like when she was a little girl. And I said, yeah, but let me talk about your union with Christ. Well, let me tell you what it was like when I was growing up. Let me tell you how bad I was. And I said, listen, you're going to have to convince me right now that Jesus Christ is a liar and you are the one who is right on this issue. What do you want to say to me? Well, I'm not saying that. I know you're not, and that is what you're going to have to tell me, and by the way, that is why the better understanding of this then frees us, oh, okay, Tim, so I get it, so I get you're struggling with this, right? You're struggling with like why you're not more like Jesus. Dude, I'm with you, bro, but let's go back and talk about like what the judge said. Did the gavel come down? Yeah, did God say you're innocent? Yeah, then I don't wanna hear anymore about you're guilty. You're not. That forensic is huge, without that, you're trapped feeling one way or the other how many of you have felt saved and then felt unsaved and by the way here's, here's what happens to us when we don't feel saved we might as well act like it I mean you know I don't really feel it anyway and it leads us into sin right it doesn't really matter I'm not feeling it today okay don't really care So that is why this sterile understanding of our forensic union with Christ. I stand with Christ, Hebrews 10, 14. I have been declared perfect as he makes me perfect. Forensic. Next one is that mystical union. This is the relational, mystical, transformational participation in Jesus. It is designated mystical because, as one scholar writes, it transcends all analogies of earthly relationships in the intimacy of its communion and its transforming power of its influence and in the excellencies of its consequences. Let me say that again, okay? Listen, this is kind of fun. Listen to this. Why is it mystical? Here's why it's mystical. Because it transcends all of the analogies of our earthly relationships. In its intimacy of communion, in its transforming power of influence, and in the excellence of its consequences... Oh, I love that. It's mystical. That's the part, like I can't explain why and they're, they're usually like songs but, or, or sometimes like scripture, but I'll just lose it. Like I'll just begin to lose it and I can't explain why. I have this deep conviction inside of me and I can't get something at it. What's happening? I don't know, it feels like love. <laughs> like it just, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like something's Right? It feels like you know what? It it feels like like the spirit is alive in me, and it's resonating inside of me. It just it feels like I am one with the God of the universe. Are you saying you're like God? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm ontologically human. I'm still by nature human. But there is something that has happened in me. Oh yeah. Wait a second. When my dad baptized me on August or in uh, November seventh, nineteen eighty one, he told me something about this that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we just kind of pass that off. What's the spirit? Oh, it's kind of like a feeling. And so I'm looking for a feeling. I'm not really looking for a feeling. I'm looking for the divine essence of God, which then I, I literally, this is a big deal. Like Ryan's teaching this in our, in our Trinity class. Like my nature doesn't change. I don't become in that. When I say become like Jesus, you know I don't mean that I become divine, right? I don't do that. I become sanctified. I become sanctified humanity. I don't become in that sense ontologically. That means in the essence of my nature and my being. I don't become God like that. So unlike some people who actually believe, then we become like gods. That's not what it says. It says that there is a union that exists with us and the Holy Spirit will come and he will dwell in you. Wow, that's amazing.
1: It it is really
0: important for us to recognize just how valuable this is. Um, And and by the way, I, I want you to be aware of this. There are some of you right now that get wrapped up on the forensic side of, it's justified by faith. That's what it is, and I don't have any feelings anyway. So it is the forensic understanding of our justification by faith alone. Okay, great, dude. Man, that's not what it's all about. What it's really all about is like this feeling of union that I have with the Spirit. It's incredible, man. Right, you know, you know these people? I, I just love telling people, like, do you know which way you default to Like, as you begin to think, do you kind of just roll into the mystical side? Man, it's just, it's real and it's alive. Or do you roll more into the forensic side, you know, because you were an engineer by training, whatever it might be, right? Like, uh, what is it? What what do you roll into? It's good to ask the question. I I really can. I mean, by my upbringing, I kind of roll this way a little bit. I just do. I roll this way. And the Spirit constantly reminds me, you do know that I'm real and I'm alive? Yes. You know that these aren't in competition with one another? Yes. Okay, good. I want to make sure that you know that. Because to deny the the mystical union of what the Holy Spirit is now doing in us is is sinful. But to deny the basis of which our forensic justification matters is also sinful. It's good to recognize that. Here's how Gerhard Voss says it listen to this quote Paul consciously and consistently subordinated doesn't say one's not valuable but he subordinated made made connected to the mystical aspect of the relationship to Christ to the forensic one Paul's mind was such to an extent forensically oriented not against but just we begin here that he regarded the entire complex of subjective spiritual changes that take place in a believer and subjective spiritual blessings enjoyed by the believer as the direct outcome of the forensic work of Christ applied at our justification. The mystical is based upon the forensic. Okay, what is he saying there? It's not this one's better than this one. This one, here's what we have missed. This one over here, the mystical, is the natural outpouring of this one. And maybe, maybe some of the reasons why you're trapped in your emotions is because you've not based it in what Jesus Christ has done. And you're trying to feel your way into, spirit, into, into heaven, quote unquote. That's not true. It's really not true. But by the way, to just stay here and just kind of talk about what happened and to not allow this is also not Right, and we'll explain that here as I close so the last three things that I don't want to talk about is the presence of the Holy Spirit I'm not even gonna to get to that famous picture I drew there Tim but anyway uh, I want yeah, I want to talk about the, the, the three aspects of the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer the first one is found in first Corinthians chapter 10 and it is where you actually see what we're gonna call the unique gifting of the Spirit so now that the Holy Spirit has come in us what does it do well he gives us unique gifts Like, Tom, here's your gift, and Tony, here's your gift, Bill, here's your gift, Jenny, here's your gift, Dylan, here's your gift, Jacob, here's your gift. And so the Spirit comes inside of us, and he gives us gifts. Now, there's a whole lot more that I could talk about this, but it's so important that we understand that now my identity in Christ is also experiencing a giftedness that he has given me. Well, why do you give me gifts? Ordinarily, I get gifts so I can use them, like for me. But the Bible actually teaches in 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 that God gives us gifts for others, ultimately for his glory. So God gives us gifts. He gives me the gift of teaching so that you can learn. He gives me the gift of service so that you can be served. He gives, me, he gives you the gift of teaching so that I can learn. He gives you the gift of, of administration so that we can do this better. He gives you the gift of, that's how the Bible describes the unique gifting. And one of the critical problems that we can have in the church is that some people either don't recognize that they have a gift from the Spirit, or worse yet, they know they have them, they're just too busy to use them. The gifts are given for the building up of the body so that we can all become mature. And imagine, just imagine this, imagine if you had a gift that this church needed that you weren't using. I'm doing a lot of remodel at my house. There's nothing worse than I can't, where's where the tape measure? Where is the stupid, okay, I, I had it here a second ago. Where is the tape measure? And if I find out that my kid went, oh, i put it in my car. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been looking everywhere for that. Yeah, I know. And then I drove it and I threw it in Boomer like. You did what? I, I want you to think about this. If you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, and if you have gifts that are used for the building up of the body, one question, are you using them? If you're not, give me back my tape measure. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, the, this is why it's not just, yeah, I need to do more things. I need to get more involved in church. Like it's, it's not that simple. It's like, no, God has given you unique gifts and abilities for the building up of the body so that we could all become mature. That is so mission critical. Second thing of, you have in Acts chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 8, the description of the ongoing. This is the presence of the Spirit in the life of the believer. So not the unique gifting of the Spirit, but now the presence that exists in us, which is that constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Um, I remember talking to a young lady who was sure she was demon-possessed, and I said, well, are you a Christian? She said, yes, and I said, well, then you can't be. You have to give up one of them. Holy Spirit and a demon are not living you at the same time, sweetheart, it's not possible. you have to pick one, okay? The conversation went a lot longer, I promise you that, but this is what the Bible teaches, is that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, that gets interesting. Can I deny it? Well, that gets complicated, But the Bible says rather clearly that when there is, and and this is, I love thinking about this, like when when I give my life to Jesus and I am declared righteous, that this is why I don't think the Holy Spirit, this is more my theologizing, this is why the Holy Spirit just wasn't given forever to everybody. Like something had to happen that would then make a way for us to be, to have the holy, right, the utterly different spirit in us. We needed to be holy. Well, how could we be holy? By the death of Jesus Christ. And that's why the coming of the Spirit happens in a way different than you ever see it in the old. This is what Peter says in Acts 2. This is what Joel prophesied about, that there would be a day when the Spirit wouldn't just come down and get people to do things temporarily like Samson, but the Holy Spirit would come in you and dwell in you. And by the way, you don't have to be some kind of like television charismatic to believe that. I would argue as Christians, we need to believe that. We need to live like that. We need to talk like that. We need to see it in each other and encourage it in one another. The Holy Spirit that lives in you, by the way, now lives in me. Like we can't fight and argue. I, I, I believe that, I believe that Tom and I, I really do. Tom and I have never had a problem that I know of anyway and we, we have never had that issue. But if, if somebody were to say to me, man, you and Tom, I'd say, hey, we'll work it out. Well, I don't know, man, I'll tell you. I think it's pretty, well, no, I'm sure it is rough, but the same Spirit that lives in me lives in Tom. Like I believe that actually. I know you think this is crazy, I totally believe that. And by the way, I'm not saying, and therefore, it'll, everybody will always be at peace with me. No, no, no. But if we're not, either I'm getting it wrong or they're getting it wrong. Okay? Which, by the way, there can still be a disagreement, but we're gonna be a Christ-like disagreement, right? There can still be a disagreement. But if the same spirit, this is how Paul talks, if the same spirit lives in you, lives in me, there can be no animosity. If the same spirit lives in you and lives in me, then there can be no unforgiveness. If the same spirit that lives in you lives in me, you realize how much our theology just goes out the window when we don't really think through the implications, if the same spirit lives in you and lives in me, what? Implication. Lastly, the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit found in uh, John 15, it's not listed there, but Jesus says, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. And that's not be productive and grow big churches, no. It's you you will then embody like my life in you. And by the way, Jesus says, and he who does not bear fruit, I will cut off and throw into the fire. Like if you're not productive, which again, doesn't mean like save lost people and go on mission trips or give lots of money to the poor. That's not what he's talking about. You can do that and not even be a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit, the embodiment of Christ in me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which I'm not saying you have to be perfect in, but they need to be evidenced in your life. That one of the identifying markers of a believer is greater. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Did I miss one? I probably missed one. Okay, that's what the Bible actually teaches. And so Jesus, when he is asked this question, like, how do you know if someone's a believer? Yeah, you really can't tell. It's hard to know. Like, we're all the same. We're all humans. Actually, we're just as bad as everybody else. No, Jesus says this. You, you can tell, you don't walk up to a tree and go, I wonder what kind of tree that is. It's got apples on it. I wonder what kind of tree it is. I if it's a banana tree. He says, no, it's you got apples on it. It's an apple tree. It's not complicated. And Jesus says, you walk up to a believer and you see in them like me. That's so why I've never understood the question when I say, hey, who am I praying for? And Bill says, you need to pray for Tom. And, okay, tell me about Tom. And then I say, Bill, is Tom a believer? I don't know. You know, he went to church when he was seven. Heard he went to camp. Oh, okay, well, that's pretty much a guarantee then. Jesus never said that. He didn't say, well, you'd go to camp, or Jesus said, you can tell by the fruit. Which, by the way, doesn't mean you won't have a bad day. Doesn't mean you're still not immature. But I, I would tell you this. If you can look at your life and go, yeah, I just I, I don't see any desire in me. I don't see any like, like hope in me to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, like I don't have any of that, then I think we need to go back and have a conversation I'm not asking you to try to be that way. I, can I tell you the story of Jesus again? Can we just pretend you don't know anything? And I just wanna talk to you about maybe a position that you are standing in right now, and, and maybe a, a, a state that you are living in right now. Because I'm really not asking you to be more loving. I'm asking you to like, by the power of the Spirit in you, to love. And by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in, that lives in you to be, to be patient. And the power of the Holy Spirit to be self-controlled. And through the power of the, you know what I'm saying? That's what the Bible teaches will be like. When we come back next week, I will be able to give you this really cool diagram on repent and believe. Which is what I gave you today. That is where we're going to end it. Love you guys. God bless. We'll see you Sunday morning. I'm talking about Jonah. That's a great fish story. You'll love it.